off everything that has accumulated on us that when we walked in here tonight, we're smiling and talking, but we're way down. It, it just happens. So I want you to just kind of go like this and shake your hands as, a, as an act of faith that we are putting off. Here we are. Let's, <laughs> we are putting off every thread of the dust of the earth, the spirit of the world, the spirit of flesh, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, the busyness of life, the distractions of life. So Lord, we just shake off everything that's not of Jesus. And we pray that, Lord, you would now wash over us, pour clean water over us tonight, Lord. Right now, wash us in your word. Wash us in your blood. Cleanse us, purify us, make us brand new. And Lord, we're just so grateful that you want to cleanse us and wash over us far more than we want the washing and the cleansing. But tonight we're in need of it. So wash over our souls tonight. Lord, we want to take every thought captive tonight to the obedience of Christ. Thank you for this strategic and vital subject of relationships. And Lord, we just pray <clears throat> that the ministry of reconciliation and the word of reconciliation would be loosed among us tonight. Lord, you saved us with a relationship that you already had with the Father that we became partakers of and we've been restored to the Father in relationship. And tonight, Lord, we just ask, restore relationships to the glory of God in the name of Jesus, the name above all names, to your glory and honor this night and forevermore. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, Janet, come. All right. Good evening, everybody. Good to see you. I would like to us, us to look at a couple of scriptures before we get into tonight's teaching. So if you can turn to Isaiah 66, please. Isaiah 66. We're going to read verses 1 and 2. Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me? Where is the place of my rest? For all these things my hand has made and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one will I look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. And so the Lord says, heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. Where can you build a house that will hold me? And he says, on this one will I look. This is the one I look for and this is the one I will look on. The one who is poor in spirit, contrite, which is fully broken of all rebellion, all resistance to the spirit of God, and who trembles at my word, who holds it in awe and respect knows that it is the Word of God, the living, active Word of God, the powerful Word of God. That's the one that the Lord looks on. Man, don't you want the Lord to look on you? Today I was saying, Lord, look on me. Look on me. Look on us tonight. May we be poor in spirit, contrite of heart, and tremble at your Word. And then let's look at Hebrews 4.12. Another scripture about the Word. Felt like it was important to look at this before we get into tonight because I want us all to realize that what we're looking at scripturally are not good suggestions or good ideas. They are the Word of God. 
and we need to tremble before what the Word of God says. So Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So the Word of God, it's living, it's active, it's powerful, it's energized, and it is effective to go into the deepest parts of our lives, even between soul and spirit. So let's just pray again. Lord, we thank you for your word, for the power of your word, the effectiveness, the ministry of your word. And Lord, we receive that tonight. Would you penetrate our hearts with your word? Holy Spirit, would you lift the veil of any deception that we are living under, any denial? Would you minister your truth to us this evening? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, now let's turn to Matthew 5. Matthew 5. We are looking at the subject of reconciliation tonight. Matthew 5. Connie Stamps, good to have you with us. Okay, Matthew 5, we're going to... We're going to actually start with verse 21. This is what I taught from two weeks ago, the subject of anger. I want us to start again there, and then we're going to read on through verse 24. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Racha, which is Hebrew for evil to you, that's what that means, Racha, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So Jesus says here, if you bring your gift or your offering to the Lord, to the altar, and you remember that your brother has something against you, and he's referring back to verse 22. If your brother has something against you because you were angry with him without a cause, because you cursed him by speaking evil things about him or to him, because you called him derogatory, slanderous, abusive names, then leave your gift at the altar, go after your brother, be reconciled with him first, have peace with him first, then come and offer your gift to God. So in God's order, any spiritual activity is to come after restoration with others in your family or in God's family. You notice Jesus didn't say, Anybody in the whole world, he said, if your brother has something against you, then you leave your gift there. So that's significant because we're surrounded by many people who could be offended by us, by our social media posts or by things we say or do unintentionally. They could be offended. But what the Lord is saying, anyone that's in your sphere of influence, your circle, your family members, your uh, significant relationships, your church relationships, fam the family of God. See, we can't always reach reconciliation with unbelievers, although we try to. But for the members of our own families and the members of the family of God, we're to make every effort toward reconciliation. So that doesn't mean that after we've reconciled that they are part of our inner circle. They don't necessarily become our best friends. We can't be best friends with everybody. We can't make peace with everyone and suddenly we are texting with them every day and we're seeing them every week. We, we just don't have time or energy for all of that. But what he says is make peace with them. Be reconciled with them. Make sure there is not some sin between the two of you, something that has not yet been forgiven. So in verse 23, Jesus might be assuming that we don't have anything against anyone because he doesn't mention that. What he's talking about here is the situation of someone having something against us. And he tells us to take the first step to reconcile. That goes right along with Romans 12 verse 18 that says, If possible, as much as depends on you, 
be at peace with all men. Hebrews 12 verse 14 says, pursue peace with all men. And the you is implied. You pursue peace with all men. As, if possible, as much as depends on you, Kevin, you pursue peace with all men. So it's all on us to be the ones that pursue the peace. Paul Bilheimer is an author and theologian. He's with the Lord now. He wrote some tremendous books that have to do with walking in and overcoming victory. He wrote this, disunity in the body of Christ probably sends more people to hell than open sin. You say that again. Disunity in the body of Christ probably sends more people to hell than open sin because it binds the hands of the Holy Spirit and it thwarts his work of convicting of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The most important prerequisite to world evangelization and revival is the unity within the body of Christ. And that goes along with what Jesus said in John 17, I think it's verse 21. They will know your Christians by your love for one another. That will authenticate my being the Messiah. It's our unity. It's our love for each other that shows the world that Jesus really is the Messiah. So it's critical that we pursue peace and strive for unity in the body. If you know that someone has something against you, reach out to that person. Whether or not you are guilty is not as important as the fact that the wounded person has perceived you as guilty. Perception is everything. And you can excuse yourself in your own heart and say, well, I didn't mean to do anything wrong. I, it wasn't intentional that I offended him. I didn't say that on purpose. And you can try to excuse yourself. But if that person perceives you as guilty and they are wounded or offended because of you, then it is on you to go make that right with them. Take steps toward reconciling the relationship. Who is actually right or wrong is not as important. It doesn't matter as much as the issue of reconciliation. That's what matters. If we insist on our being right, then we might sacrifice true righteousness. It's far more important that we be righteous than that we be right. So what do I mean by that? It's more important that we be merciful, that we be kind, that we be forgiving, that we take steps toward healing relationships. That is righteous. That is more important than that we be the right one in an argument or a disagreement. Reuben, I'm going to ask you to come up and share your story. Reuben has a really good example of this, and I couldn't think of one better, and so I asked if he would share a personal story that ties in with this, being right or being righteous. Wow, this is always a very interesting story when I think about it. <clears throat> uh, I want to share with you a life lesson, a real strong life lesson where I learned the difference between being right and being righteous. But unfortunately, I learned in a very hard way. Uh, after moving to Israel, I had a really great friendship with a brother and his wife. They had moved to Israel from the Pacific Northwest. And uh, I just really bonded with this brother. I appreciated his passion for God. We just, you know, some people you just connect with easily, and that's how it was with Paul. And... Uh, I even became the godfather of their firstborn son. And as best friends, we really wanted God's best for each other. And that's a good sign of a best friend is that no matter what, they put aside their personal interests and they only want God's highest for your life. And that's the type of relationship I had with Paul. Uh, both of us became elders at a local congregation that we were both a part of in Jerusalem. It's kind of a small congregation, less than 100. And there were six of us elders. And uh, I was the last elder that was uh, um, brought to the elder uh, team. 
uh, during a couple of years that I was there. But sometime about, a, oh, I don't know, six months, a year after, uh, after I was uh, one of the elders with the brothers, uh, I started dating a girl that started coming to our congregation. And Paul shared his reservation with me about this girl, and I didn't like to hear that. And uh, over the next couple of months, I tried to prove to Paul that this girl was, she was in sync with God's plan and perhaps even God's plan for my life. But you know, in that season, I could, I could sense that the trust and the enjoyment of fellowship and the, and the enjoyment of just being together was starting to wane because I wasn't convincing Paul and he wasn't going to convince me. And I just felt that I started to sense, I felt that he was judging me for this relationship that I was having. And honestly, I became really upset that my best friend wasn't in agreement with not only what I felt, but I asked several other friends of what they thought about her and about maybe us. And people were going, well, who knows? I mean, there was no obstacles like there was with Paul. So I thought, well, this isn't going to get any better, so we, I need to take it to the next level. So the thought came, well, I'm going to submit the relationship to the elders and share with them how I've sensed that Paul's been judging me because I've been dating this girl. I'll never forget that elders meeting. It went for several hours because we gave Paul was able to express his observation and I was able to express mine and we put it for the four other brothers to decide, you know, and, and we both said that we were willing to accept their decision. After these hours, the other four elders agreed with me that Paul had been judging me. And Paul got up and left the elders' meeting. So we had a time of prayer, the five of us in Paul's absence and praying over him and over me and over our relationship. And the next morning, I'm in my quiet time with the Lord and I'm having a sense that, all right, I, I was right. I shared it. I submitted it to the brothers and and they decided. And you know, God is so supernatural. I remember that after I had that feeling of being right, that I felt the Holy Spirit come to me in a very unusual way and just whispered these words to my heart. Well, you did a good job in proving you were right before men but you were not righteous before me it took a little while and I knew it was God and I started repenting and repenting moved to tears and I felt terrible busted so I slept on it that night and the next morning I thought, well, maybe I'll call Paul. And all of a sudden I thought, no, 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 no. Because I committed this sin before my brothers, this needs to be a public confession. It's not just good enough for me and Paul. I did this among others. So I said, I, I want to, at the next Monday night elders meeting, I want to have a public confession of how much I really missed it and how I dishonored my friendship with my best friend. And I told them in advance that I want to have a public confession. And that was enough to get Paul to return. And I remember when we were all sitting there and I started asking Paul's forgiveness and I said, God showed me how seriously I sinned against love. I did not love you the way I needed to love you and how I wanted to prove that I was right instead of righteous. And I said, and you've been my best friend and I, 
I need to humble myself. And I had already asked, uh, the, it was in the pastor's home that night, uh, he asked his wife to bring a bucket of water and a little towel and begin to wash Paul's feet. And as I was washing his feet, I started to have a, a few tears. But Paul, he started saying, thank you, Jesus. Yes, yes, thank you, Jesus. I knew you would bring the truth. So my tears started moving even deeper because the humility that I had, he was so far from in receiving what I was giving. And in fact, he, he was not really receiving this. And because of his hard heart, another elder started crying. And it went from one to the other to the next. And before long, five of us were on our knees weeping. As Paul was saying, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And our brokenness became so profound that after I dried his feet, he just walked out and he never came back. I tried to reach out to him, disconnected the phone, got another number, never answered, was never there, never came to the door. It was, he made reconciliation almost impossible. But the guilt that I had for a long season that it was my fault that the relationship got damaged because I so wanted to be right rather than being righteous. This is a life lesson for all of us because built within all of us humans, we love being right, we hate being wrong, period. We hate being wrong, but we love being right and we take strength from being right. And the Lord would say, do not take strength in being right. Only get your strength in being righteous. So may the Lord help us to be clothed with righteousness, not rightness. Because too easily do we get stuck in being right and end up missing, missing the righteousness of God. Thank you, Reuben. See, Paul was right because you needed to marry me. <laughs> Just saying, you know. Okay, so when you, reckon, when you initiate a conversation toward reconciliation, make sure you don't say if. If I hurt your feelings, if I did anything wrong, if I offended you, if I hurt you. The word if is saying that you believe you're innocent and it shows an insensitivity to their hurt. So take the word if out of your out of your reconciliation process. Instead, you can say, where have I offended you? How have I hurt you? And give them an opportunity to share. Don't be defensive. Don't justify yourself, your action or what you said. Approach a conversation like this in a spirit of humility. Your goal is reconciliation, and so that will take humility and probably an apology. What you can say is, I never intended to hurt you, but I see that I have, and I am so sorry. Will you forgive me? Or you can say, it was never my intention. That's not the way I meant it. Please forgive me. Don't ever say, well, that's not the way I meant it. You took it all wrong. Take that out of your vocabulary. Just say, I didn't mean it that way. I am so sorry that I hurt you, that I offended you. Please forgive me. You know, the words forgive me are very important. Often we stop with I'm sorry if we even get that far, right? We finally say I'm sorry. But if we don't say please forgive me, 
They might not ever close the deal. That's how you bring closure. You ask forgiveness as well. And hopefully that will bring them to a point of forgiving. Turn to Luke 17. We're going to look at a few times that Jesus dealt with this. He gave some very clear guidelines. Luke 17. And read verses 1 and 2. Then Jesus said to his disciples, It is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. So what Jesus was saying, of course there are going to be offenses. It's impossible that there won't be. But make sure that you're not the one to cause the offense. Don't you be the one that causes the friction. Don't you be the one that insists on having your own way. Don't you be the stubborn one. Don't you be the critical one. Don't you be the one that doesn't work well on the team, that doesn't get along with the other people. You know, there's always irregular people. Don't you be the irregular person. Be the person that covers in love. And then Jesus went on to say, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck, if he offends a little one, and he's cast into the sea. So, with all my artistic ability, I quickly drew a picture for you today. This is actually an olive press. And all these little green things are olives. And the way an olive press works is you've got a millstone that's on a stick, on a quite a big stick. And as they turn it here, it goes around and it's, it crushes the olives. And the olive oil will go down through this little chute here into a bottle, a clay bottle. If you go to Israel someday and you go to Capernaum, you will see they have a lot of olive presses there and a lot of millstones because Capernaum was a big um, industry area for olives, olive presses and making olive oil. So this millstone is what Jesus was referring to. They can weigh as little as 50 or 100 pounds. They can weigh a lot more than that. So basically he's saying, if you offend somebody, it's better for you for a millstone, often they're about this size, a millstone to be hung around your neck and thrown into the sea. So it's like putting on cement boots. You never come back up. And then let's read verses three and four. So Jesus went on to say, take heed to yourselves or be careful, be aware. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. So in verse 3, he says, if your brother sins against you, again, it's your brother. It doesn't have to be the grocery store clerk that wasn't kind to you. That's not sinning against you. That just hurt your feelings, okay? That, that person you don't have to go and make it right with. But if it's your brother, a family member, someone in the family of God, someone in your inner circle of relationships, if they sin against you, now this is real sin. This is not just a difference of culture. Maybe your brother is someone of a different culture and they do things differently than you. They were born in the, the north, you were born in the south. Reuben was born in, in uh, Illinois. I was born down here in Oklahoma, raised in Texas. When we married, we thought we had different cultures because I, by that time, was South African in culture. I'd been there seven years. He was Israeli in culture. He'd been there seven years. And actually, the biggest cultures were not our South African and Israeli cultures. Our biggest cultural differences was the North and the South. They do things a whole lot different in the North. We do them different in the South. So we had to learn to work through the cultural differences. So that's why I say it's not always sin. Sometimes it's just a cultural difference. Sometimes it's just a preference that you're dealing with. But what Jesus is dealing with is real sin. Someone really sins against you. Then you go to him and Jesus says, rebuke him. That's the way they translated it. Basically, Jesus said, don't just leave it, talk about it. What do we tend to do in the South? We forgive in our hearts and we go on. We don't talk about it. And by doing that, we build up a bit of a wall and some distance. And from then on, the relationship is more shallow. It's hard to build real trust. 
because we have not talked about it. Jesus is always after reconciliation. And so he says, if your brother sins against you, don't just forgive him and go on about your life. Go talk to him about it. Go be reconciled. Find a place of understanding. Find a place of clarity. You know, metal that's been soldered is stronger after it's been broken and soldered together than it was before it was ever broken. And we have that potential in our relationships. Once we get them restored, then the relationship can be stronger than it ever was before. So confront in love and forgive because Jesus said to first, that's why we do it because Jesus said to, it's in the word of God and we honor the word of God, but also because we desire wholeness in the other person. If we just forgive in our heart and we go on about our life, the other person hasn't, hasn't been able to change. They don't have an opportunity to say sorry. They don't have an opportunity to get closer to the Lord and maybe to develop greater righteousness in their own life. So if we really love our brother and our sister, we will go to them and we'll talk about it. Let's look at another scenario. Notice Jesus said in this passage, if your brother sins against you, it is up to you to go to him. In Matthew 5, he said, if you know your brother has something against you, you go to him. Now he says, if you have, now you go to him. See, the onus is always on us so far. Now in Matthew 18, Jesus gives clear directions again, another situation. Starting in verse 15, he says, if your brother sins against you, you go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. You've gained the relationship. So if someone has offended or hurt you, it's up to you to initiate the restoration. But before you take the first step to go to that brother alone, go to God alone. Pour out your heart before God. It says in Psalm 62 verse 8, Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. If you go to your brother when you're full of all kinds of hurt and anger and frustration and disappointment, you've got all these emotions, you're probably going to spew them all over your brother or your sister. So we don't want to do that. You want to pour out your heart before God privately. Pray it through and let him deal with all your emotions. Let him quiet you, let him comfort you, let him strengthen you. And then when you know the right timing, the right situation, then you go to the brother or the sister and you talk to them about it. Then you can speak objectively. Then you're not pouring all of your dump trunk of emotions on top of them that they can't handle. I, I learned this early in our marriage if I was upset and I started to talk to Reuben in a state of being upset, he would say, wait, wait a minute. I can't hear what you're saying because your emotions are too loud. Go be with yourself with the Lord. Deal with it with him and then come and talk to me. It's made all the difference in the world in our marriage because I learned to do that. He taught me to do that. I'd go pour it out before the Lord, tell him how I felt, tell him what I thought was unjust and do business with God and me, and then I could talk with Reuben. And often by that time, the Lord had already pointed out to me what was wrong with me. So then I had a much more objective way to talk together with him. So that's really our first step. Pour it out before the Lord in prayer. Then go to the person alone. Notice that. Don't go to anybody else. Don't go to your best friend. Don't go to your roommate. Don't go to your spouse. Go to the person alone. He has the right to hear first, unless you need pastoral counsel. There are times that things are so intense and so complicated that it helps to get pastoral counsel before you go have that conversation. But if you don't need the counsel, go to that person alone first. If you go to other people first, before you go to the person that you had the relationship problem with, you're causing disunity in the body of Christ. You're setting up other people to take up an offense on your behalf. You're breaking down a relationship that might have existed between them and other people. And it fits into Proverbs 6 where God says, there are seven things I hate. And the seventh one is he who sows discord among the brethren. A person that causes strife and disunity among the brethren. We don't wanna be that person. We don't want God angry at us. 
So go to that person alone first. And then verse 16, Jesus goes on. He says, but if he will not hear you, then take with you one or two more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. So what we do here is we take one or two mutual friends. It's got to be mutual friends, not your best friends that don't like that person anyway. That's not fair. Take one or two mutual friends that can be like referees that can hear their side and hear your side and help you to hear one another and help you to find a godly resolution together. Sometimes we need that. And then verse 17, he says, and if he refuses to hear them, then tell it to the church. And actually it's more accurate if it were to say, tell it to the church leadership. You don't stand up in church and before a thousand people point out somebody and say, this is what happened. That's out of order. But sometimes if there's been real sin committed, they have not received your explanation, your apology, your humility. You've brought in a couple of good referees and they haven't received that either. Then go to someone that's in leadership in the church. And if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector, which means then you don't need to have fellowship with them anymore. You've walked through all the steps Jesus laid out. And I would say, do not go first to Pastor John Durham. He's the senior pastor, okay? So go to someone on a lower level of leadership in the church. If you're a senior adult, you can come to Reuven and I if you want. If you're a younger adult, you could go to Zach Elkins who works with the young adults or go to maybe a CG leader, an ABF leader, someone that you trust that's in leadership. You can do that. But don't worry, Pastor John, with all kinds of Mickey Mouse problems. Okay. Not that any of our problems are ever Mickey Mouse. They're always serious, right? All of our situations are serious, but we still don't want to bother him with it unless we have to. Okay. Be willing to forgive whether or not the other person repents. Already in your heart, you're willing to forgive because actually when you met with God personally, before you ever had the initial conversation, you already forgave in your heart. That's important too. You don't need to say the word, you don't need to hear the words, I'm sorry, before you forgive. But most people do need to hear the words, I'm sorry, before they can forgive. And whether it was real hurt or perceived hurt, people need to hear the words, I'm sorry. And I'll just tell you a quick story. When we were in Jerusalem, I, I did a fair amount of counseling. And one day, a lady from another congregation asked to see me. Um, she was very bitter toward a pastor's wife from the States. She was originally from the States as well. And so as we began to talk about it, she said, um, some, someone, she, at this point, she was probably about 30, and it was, she was a bit younger, and she said a, another young woman had come on to her and brought her into a lesbian relationship. When she confessed that as sin before the Lord and repented and felt like she wanted help, she went to her pastor's wife and she said, will you help me with this? I, I want to get free of this and the emotions and, and everything that's all tied up. Can you help me? The pastor's wife came on to her and tried to pull her into a lesbian relationship. And unfortunately, it was a Texas pastor's wife. So... Um, of course, I didn't, I didn't know these people at all, so I didn't have an issue there. But as I'm praying softly, as she's talking, I felt like what she needs to hear are the words, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And so as, as she got quiet, I said, you know, man, I am so sorry that happened. That never should have happened. And, you know, as a pastor's wife and as a Texan, would you please forgive me? that that happened to you. And man, by this time she was crying. She said, but you didn't do anything wrong. I said, yeah, but I could have. I'm a Texan and I'm a pastor's wife. And I'm just standing in for that lady and I'm saying, please forgive me. Please forgive her. I am so sorry that happened. And she cried and cried. She said, no one has ever told me they were sorry. And she said, now that you've said that, I realize that's what I've needed to hear for years. She said, I do forgive. I forgive you. 
I forgive Texans. I forgive pastor's wives. I forgive that lady. I forgive the initial girl. I forgive it all. I wanna be free of this bitterness. I wanna be free of all this. I wanna walk on with the Lord. And I was able to pray with her in her recommitment to walk on further with the Lord. So sometimes you may be in that role of reconciliation, the ministry of reconciliation where you need to say you're sorry in place of somebody else who was really the guilty party. But be sure if, if it's potentially you as the guilty party or they perceived you as guilty, don't be so proud that you can't say you're sorry. That's the deal. We clothe ourselves in humility as First Peter says. And we say, I'm sorry. Even if we fully believe we were in the right, we still say, I'm sorry. Because it's more important to be reconciled than it is to be right. All right, let's go back to Matthew 5. Matthew 5, we're gonna look at the following two verses. Matthew 5, 25 Jesus said, agree with your adversary quickly while you're on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge, the judge hand you over to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there until you've paid the last penny. So the phrase agree with, the Greek phrase means to think kindly of or favorably toward. So Jesus was saying, think kindly of your adversary. Think positively, favorably toward your adversary quickly. So again, we're searching our own hearts first. Make sure your heart is right toward an adversary or someone that you're, you've got something unresolved with. And then basically what the Lord is saying here is don't let unresolved issues go on indefinitely. They won't heal themselves. Time does not heal everything. The right words, the right humility, that will heal things. So don't just let it go on indefinitely. Deal with conflict as quickly as you can. Jesus said that in that verse. He says, agree with your adversary quickly while you're on the road with him, before you start going your separate ways, before he goes away to a different university, before she moves to a different city, before circumstance changes, while you're in the same situation, Go ahead and agree. Yes, I'm sorry you were hurt. Yes, I'm sorry I did that wrong. I really mishandled that. Will you please forgive me? I care more about our relationship than I care about being right and how things worked out. You pay a price when Jesus said you will end up going to the judge, the officer, be thrown into prison. Basically, we can narrow that down to say you will pay a price when you allow offenses or angers to go on too long. You're going to pay it in your own body because your own body will start to break down. You'll pay it in your soul. You'll pay it in your spirit. You'll pay it in your other relationships. You will pay a price as long as you allow things to keep going on and on. So deal with things quickly. The responsibility for reconciliation is always ours. The scripture says, you agree with your adversary. You pursue peace with all men. You leave your gift at the altar and go be reconciled with your brother. You think kindly of and favorably, favorably toward your adversary. It's up to you. Don't wait for people to come to you. Don't wallow in self-pity and say, but he never said he was sorry. She never said she was sorry. Don't do that. Just go ahead and move on in your life. Forgive. Be reconciled as much as you can. You know, there's some people that don't want to be reconciled. It doesn't matter what you say and do. They do not want to be reconciled with you. But as much as it's up to you, you pursue peace with all people. And when they won't be reconciled, that's when you have to wash your hands of it and just commit them to the Lord and let the Lord deal with them. If it's a fellow believer with whom you are at odds, be reconciled and restored before trying to minister to the Lord. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 5. If, it's, if you're at odds with an unbeliever, deal with the situation as soon as possible to avoid future problems. There are some hurts and angers that we can resolve in our own time alone with the Lord. 
other situations might need to be discussed with the other party. And some people say, well, how do you know? How do you know when you could just pray about it and it can be okay and when you actually have to go and talk with them about it? What I do is I give myself a three-day test. If over the course of three days, I've prayed about it, I've sought the Lord, I have forgiven, I've asked the Lord to forgive me, and I've seen the person and it seems like we're at peace with each other and everything's okay, then I think, okay, the work I did in prayer was sufficient and I don't need to necessarily talk with them about it. But if at the end of three days, I still feel uneasy in my spirit, I feel like a conversation needs to take place. I can tell when I'm with that person that there's an awkwardness, there's a lack of peace. Then I know I've got to initiate a conversation with that person. And then it's up to me to do it. Okay, so just a few points. Now, in your book, you've got a handout on reconciliation, and there's two pages to it. I'm just going to choose out of that some of them to highlight, and I'm not going to be going through verbatim. I just want to point it out to you so that you're sure to read that later. And anytime you need to reconcile a relationship, it'd probably be good to go over those points again. So first, think and pray about what you're going to say before you say it. Don't think to yourself, I'm just going to wing it. Oh, there she is. I'm just going to go talk to her quickly right now. No, think and pray about it. Plan in advance what you're going to say. Pray for the right timing and pray for the right setting. This is, this is key because your relationship is possibly hanging in the balance, the future of it. Then don't wait too long to seek reconciliation. Don't withdraw because withdrawing will never restore the relationship. When you talk about something that's bothering you, they may respond with something that's bothering them. So be open to criticism. Don't think it's you're justified and you're gonna say some things that are on your heart without having the heart to listen to what they're gonna say in reply. There's usually truth in what they say too. So be humble enough to listen to them as well as to share in a humble spirit. Don't use the past to manipulate the conversation. Past issues will cloud the present problem. Don't start saying, you know, I had a problem with how we, how we were a few days ago. And last week you also did this. And last month you said that. And last year, do you remember what you did five years ago? Don't do all that. That will confuse everything. Just deal with the present problem. Don't accuse the other person. Don't attack the other person. Just seek clarity and understanding. You know, please explain to me why you said this or why you did that. I think I misunderstood something and I've been hurt as a result. And I love you and I love our friendship. And I don't want there to be a hint of anything between you and me. So let's please talk about this. Then state your hurt or offense objectively. Try to keep as much emotion out of it as you can. If you've already expressed your emotions to the Lord, as I said, it will be easier to be objective with the person. Look for a solution. Don't look for a win-lose situation. Look for a solution. Ask the Lord to help you find one, and you may need to compromise to have a solution. You may have to agree to a compromise. If you initiate the talk, you've had the advantage of thinking and praying and feeling and sorting out your emotions and your thoughts in advance. The other person hasn't. They might not know what's coming to them. So don't demand that they re respond to you immediately. Give them some response time. As God's children, I'm just going to wrap up with some more thoughts here. As God's kids, we are all in the school of learning to love like he loves. Jesus said, it's enough for a servant to be as his master. And because God is love, then our great business in life is learning how to love. All spiritual growth is growth primarily in love. All spiritual failure is failure primarily in love, not loving. All spiritual immaturity is immaturity primarily in love. Relationships are a crash course in learning to love. 
And it's in relating to others that we find the most joy, the most pain, the most pleasure, and the most heartache. We're not going to be able to get along in life without relationships. So let's learn how to walk through relationships with love, with acceptance, with humility. And, and I want to say, pray about your relationships. Don't take them for granted. Pray about your family relationships. Pray about your friendships. Pray about the people that's in your inner circle. Pray about future relationships. If you're single and you're hoping to marry, pray for the person that the Lord has for you somewhere down the line. Pray for that person. Don't enter into relationships lightly. You know, the more you give your heart away here and there and everywhere, by the time you find the right person, your heart's been scattered everywhere else. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And ask him to choose your friendships. Ask him to choose a, the, the right romantic relationship at the right time. If you're searching, you can easily make a mistake. We don't have time for mistakes, you guys. We don't have time for a lot of broken hearts and a lot of soul ties that are not healthy and that have to be broken and prayed over. We need to keep ourselves pure before the Lord in our thoughts, in our hearts, in our actions, in our words. And if we're single, we need to enjoy the gift of singleness. There's a lot you can do as a single that you can't do once you're married that is pure and holy. And if you're married, fully enjoy marriage. There's a lot you can do as a married person that you cannot do as a single. Now, Reuben and I pastored singles for many years. We love singles. And so many singles would come to us and say, man, I just so long to be married. You know, what was interesting is that we had a lot of married people come to us and say, I would give anything to be single again. <laughs> you know? But they knew they couldn't divorce. So they just tried to tough it out. And I th we'd think, man, if these two could ever get together and just hear each other out, maybe they'd get more content with where they are. Because there are pros and cons with both. Just be content with where God has you and have holy relationships. Commit your relationships to the Lord. Pray about your friendships. Every place the Lord has led us to a different place, like a different city, a different nation, one of my first prayers was always, Lord, give me the kingdom alignments you want me to have. Give me the friendships that we can feed into each other and strengthen each other in the Lord. People that will be a blessing to me, that I can be a blessing to them. Lord, would you choose my friendships? So I not only prayed for my spouse well before I ever met Reuven, I prayed, I prayed also for my friendships. It's not beneath the Lord to guide us to the right friendships. If you have damaged relationships, do everything that you can to heal them. Humble yourself. Ask forgiveness. Listen to correction. Try to understand from their viewpoint. Avail yourself daily of the love of God as you commune with him in prayer, worship, and the word. Let him love you. Let him feel the gaps in your heart. Let him heal the brokenness of your soul. Let him restore you. Let him be your first love. And then unconditional love for others will flow out of that. You cannot love out of a heart of love if you haven't received love from God the Father. That's the first thing we need to do. Receive his love. Be filled with his love. Be filled with his spirit. And then let it overflow into our other relationships. Unconditional love for others comes from that heart of love regardless of the worth of the recipient of the love. It doesn't matter about the other person if they're worthy of your love. They're worthy of God's love, and you have God's love. And so you can give it away freely. We're going to pray, and I would like to first say, let's just wait before the Lord. And let's ask him, Lord, do I have any strained relationships, any broken relationships that I need to see healing in? Is there someone that sinned against me that I need to go to? Is there someone I've sinned against that I need to go to? Is there anyone I need to apologize to? Let's wait and, and listen to the Holy Spirit of God.
Thank you, Holy Spirit, for what you've shown us. Would you give us the courage to act on it? We choose to listen and we choose to obey. So Lord, if some of us haven't heard yet from you, I pray that you would invade those hidden places of our hearts and that you would speak to us in a way that we can hear, that we can discern your voice. And then that you would give us the boldness and the courage to seek reconciled, restored relationships. Lord, we want to be a whole people and we wanna help other people be whole. Lord, we know you love your people. You love all people. Would you forgive us when we've walked in lovelessness? And would you fill us with your love? We choose even now to forgive those that we've been withholding forgiveness from. <coughs> we just say that they don't owe us anything. We cancel every debt. We forgive them. We ask you to forgive them. And we ask you to help us to have any necessary conversation. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we we go to our groups. I want to just tell you another quick story. I, I thought of it as I was praying. Um, I know a lady that for nine years, her father raped her every Saturday from the age of nine to the age of 18. The mother would go out shopping and while she was gone, he would rape her. And uh, she came to faith in Jesus when she was about 25 and she forgave him. It took a while, as you can imagine, but she did forgive him. And she prayed for him eventually. She could pray blessing for him. She prayed he would be saved. She shared the gospel with him a number of times, different ways. He never was interested at all. And one day when she was much older, I think she was already in her 40s, she was driving down the road and she was kind of near her parents' house and her mother had already died and the Lord spoke to her and he said, tell your father you forgive him. And she thought to herself, well, it's one thing for me to forgive him in my heart. It's another thing for me to actually tell him I forgive him. Maybe he forgot all those years, you know, but she felt so impressed by the Lord that she went directly to the house and he was sitting outside and she hugged him hello and she knelt by his chair and she said, Dad, I just want to tell you that for all those years of sexual abuse and rape, I forgave you a long time ago. I have forgiven you. And tears just started running down his face. He said, I had hoped you'd forgotten. I didn't have the courage to ask you to forgive me. But now that you have, now I want to talk about Jesus. And she was able to lead him to the Lord. He needed to hear the words, I forgive you. You know, these, these words are so important. I'm sorry, I forgive you, please forgive me. If there's any relationship where you know those words need to be spoken, take courage in Jesus, step forward, have the conversations that are necessary, let's help bring the body of Christ into greater wholeness. Let's help bring our family members into greater wholeness. God bless you. Let's go to our groups. I think you all know where you're going. If there's anyone that doesn't know where you're going, wave at me very obnoxiously. Good. Everyone knows. Whoever's in Lauren Blake's group, you're going with Alyssa. Hey, who's got Donna Beth's group tonight? Donna, what? Me. I'm Donna Beth's group. And we're you're Lauren's group. Well, we're, we co-lead. Yeah, Beth but, okay. So if you're in Donna Beth's group and Alyssa's group and Lauren's group, this is all the three of them right here. Alyssa. Alyssa okay. Beth Lauren. All right. Go with that one. Oh, good. Is this a conversation we have to say? No. <laughs>